0: You guys did a great job. Thank you so much for leading us in worship. We're grateful. Turn your Bibles to the Acts of the Apostles. We are on Sunday evenings going through the Acts of the Apostles. We'll summarize chapter 1 quickly and try to move into chapter 2. Remember this, Luke is our writer. This is his second account, the gospel being the first account. The book's dedicated to someone named Theophilus lover of God. The descent of the Holy Spirit is the center. Pentecost is the center of chapter one and chapter two. And in chapter one, verse four, he tells them to go to Jerusalem and to wait for the gift of the Spirit. And then in Eight, he tells them that when they receive the power of the Spirit, when the Spirit has come upon you, you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the earth. That's the outline of the book as we begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then we end in Rome, the uttermost part of the earth. In verses nine through 11, we have the ascension where Jesus ascends to heaven. And I brought to your attention last week that Luke is really the only New Testament writer to actually record the ascension. John makes an allusion to it, but in the Gospel of Luke in Acts is where the emphasis on the ascension, the cloud is involved, the cloud represents he is taken into the presence of God. Then in verse 12 and 14, they return a three-quarter mile walk to the upper room may or may not be the room where they observed the Lord's Supper and the apostles are named there. And they're with one mind devoting themselves to prayer with with the women, Mary, the brothers of Jesus, the family of Jesus are all together. Peter stands up in verse 15, Peter being the leader, there's about 120 disciples now have gathered with the apostles and says, brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those uh, who arrested Jesus? Now what happens here is we had the replacement of Judas. Now we replaced Judas not because he died. In fact, there's only twelve original apostles. that 's not a, a, a replaceable office. Because to be an apostle, you had to have seen the resurrected Jesus. In fact, it even implies here his ascension as well. So it's not an office that takes place. So when you see a church that says they have an apostle, well, unless he was in the first century and saw the physical resurrection of Jesus, he means apostle in a different way than the way that it is is used here. So we replace Judas, not because he died, but because he betrayed and he left his office, it has to be restored to the number 12. When James dies, he's not replaced. It's not about death. It is having the, the number 12 as the leaders of the church. So they tell the story of Judas about his death. And then he quotes in verse 19, Psalm 69, let his homestead be made desolate and let no man dwell in it and his office let another man take, Psalm 109. So he sees the vacancy created by Judas as well as the selection of a new apostle as both finding a fulfillment of the Psalms of David. There's Psalm 69 and Psalm 102. So what are, what are they looking for? Well, look what they're looking for. It is necessary, verse 21, that the men who have accompanied us all the time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. They want somebody who was there at his baptism, when he was baptized by John until the day he was taken up from us. One of of these should become a witness with us of his resurrection. The primary function of an apostle is to be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And so someone who's seen the ministry of jesus including the ascension that they may primarily testify to the resurrection of jesus two men are called forward joseph the son of the sabbath bar sabbath we don't know anything else about joseph he was a good man he was not selected as we will see but uh, tradition tells us that he was a great missionary and eventually he was forced to drink poison and did not die that's the only other oral tradition on joseph then Uh, Matthias, notice, they pray, Lord, you know the hearts of men. Show us the one you've chosen. And, well, they cast the lots. Maybe they roll the stones. They draw the straws, however it might have been done. And notice verse 26, Matthias is numbered with the 11 apostles, and now the church is back to 12 apostles. Well, then we have in chapter 2 the day of Pentecost. He told them in verse, uh, in verse 4 of chapter 1 to go and wait until that which he had spoken of would come, and that's the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost is the Feast of Weeks. It's a wheat harvest. It's celebrated by a one-day festival with all sorts of special sacrifices. And, well, let's join them in this Feast of Weeks. And when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together together, in one place. Now remember, they're supposed to stay in Jerusalem until they receive the Spirit. Then they have the power to go and witness. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. This house is probably not the temple. It's probably not, some interpreters say that, it's probably not that. But they're in a house it fills the whole house and notice there are two images that depict the arrival of the spirit the first is the noise of the wind interestingly enough the word for spirit in greek is pneuma which can mean wind or spirit so you can see how those two are interchangeable together so there's this loud rushing wind i'm talking to people in amarilla yes you get this you get the loud rushing wind <laughs> i'm not talking to people who don't know what this means you 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 are. you've no know pentecost you're there all the time in the spring so there you go and then there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them the apostles have the tongue of fire resting on them. So we have the the sound, the image of the rushing wind, the pneuma, and then we have the image of the fiery tongue, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, in the New Testament, there is a Holy Ghost language, a glossolalia, like in 1 Corinthians, where someone speaks and someone else interprets that's not what this is they are speaking in known languages it would be if all of a sudden I know absolutely no Japanese I started preaching in Japanese and we had Japanese visitors and they understood the gospel in their language that's what's taking place here in fact there's other parts of the text it may be a miracle of hearing as much or more than it is speaking in a in that foreign language Now, there are Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. Here's the thing. He's going to give us a list of nations. The Jews are there from all over the known world. They hear the gospel right there with a missionary force. They go back home and they can tell something has happened in Jerusalem. They're preaching about the resurrected Jesus. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were bewildered because each one of them was, here it is, hearing them speak you see that so you could debate by the text one place it says they're speaking in a language they don't know another place says they're hearing in their language either way the gospel was communicated and they were amazed and they marveled saying verse 7 why are not all these who are speaking Galileans and how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia. In case you missed it, he gives you the whole list. Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and districts of Libya and Cyrene and visitors from Rome. There we go. How do we end the book? In Rome. So we have some folks from Rome there with Jews and proselytes and Cretans and Arabs and, well, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds they continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? And some other folks were saying, they're drunk. They're drunk. Their worship uh, appeared as if they were drunk, it says. They are full of sweet wine. So he told them to wait to the descent of the Spirit. Once they receive the Spirit, they become witnesses, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the remotest part of the earth. And now there they are. The Spirit falls upon them. They're in the house. It fills the house, a, a violent rushing wind. There's the visual image of the fiery tongues. The apostles go out with the people, they begin preaching, and people from all the known nations of the earth, including the capital Rome, hear the gospel and their own language and they are amazed at this ecstatic worship and this proclamation and all these languages or hearing in all these languages and it's quite a commotion and some folks say they are drunk and then Peter stands up but Peter I want you to look there at verse 14 but Peter taking his stand with the eleven raised his voice and declared to them Men of Judea, and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. These men are not drunk, you suppose. Uh, It's only the third hour of the day. It's nine o'clock in the morning. They are not drunk, Peter says. And then he begins to preach. We have arrived at a monumental moment in the book of Acts. Monumental because the Spirit has descended the fiery tongues are there. The rushing wind is present, but monumental in another way. You remember when we began our study in the Acts of the Apostles, I said when you look at the New Testament, there's only one history of the church. There are the four gospels. There are the epistles. But before any gospel was ever penned, at the moment Peter stands up and preaches these words, there is no gospel extant anywhere. You following me? No gospel exists. And so what we find in these early sermons in Acts is the core of what the apostles believed and taught. It was the aha moment for me. I'd been through seminary and did not see this. It was an aha moment for me in Ph.D. work at Baylor when I finally, this is the interpretive grid by which I read the New Testament because it's before the Gospels. And this is what the epistles are about. It's apostles writing, applying this apostles theology to the problems in the churches like Corinth. And so if you know what I'm going to teach you tonight, you can read the New Testament with a whole new set of lens. And you'll go back and say, yeah, the gospels make sense now. How it relates to the Old Testament, yeah, I can, I can put it all together now. Are you ready? Ready? What did Peter preach? And it's not all in this first sermon, but as we go through the sermons, you're going to find these six things. First of all, Peter preaches. I'm going to give you the list, and then we'll see them as we go through his sermon. In the events surrounding the person of Jesus, God was fulfilling the ancient Jewish scriptures. In the events surrounding the person of Jesus, God was fulfilling the ancient Jewish scriptures. You want to do it in one word? Fulfillment. What he's saying is what's happened in the person of Jesus is not anything new. It is what Isaiah had written about. It's what David had sung about. It is all part of the Old Testament. The events surrounding Rabbi Jesus are a fulfillment, not a denial of what it means to be Jewish. Fulfillment. Number two. The crucifixion of Jesus was ordained by God and was a mighty act of conquest and deliverance for his people as confirmed in the resurrection. The crucifixion of Jesus was ordained by God and was a mighty act of conquest and deliverance for God's people as confirmed in the resurrection. you will going to do this with one word. It's the word deliverance what has happened to Jesus in his crucifixion this isn't upsetting to God about his son or the Messiah but rather it is controlled ordained by God himself in fact it is the new exodus it is deliverance conquest it is it is release and liberation for God's people if you don't think it was all ordained by God look at the end of the story It's resurrection, deliverance. Number three, we don't preach about this much, but the apostles did, exaltation. This same crucified and resurrected Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and is stalled as both Messiah and Lord. This same crucified and resurrected Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of God and has been st- installed, there seated, enthroned to the right hand of God as Messiah and Lord. One word? exaltation. So fulfillment, deliverance, exaltation. The fourth thing we find before we ever have a gospel is spirit. The fourth word is spirit. Jesus had poured forth the Spirit of God upon his people and is thus himself present in their midst as living Lord. Jesus has poured himself forth, on the, Jesus has poured forth the Spirit of God upon his people and is thus himself present in their midst as the living Lord. The next word is Spirit. The fifth word is vindication. Vindication. This same Jesus will again be manifested to the world to vindicate his people and judge the earth. Vindication. This same Jesus, this crucified, resurrected, exalted Jesus, he'll come again, he'll again again be manifested to the world to vindicate his people and judge the earth. And then, finally, the word repent. Repent. Given the fact that God is not surprised by the crucifixion now I'm not stating it now I'm getting you to this point. Given the fact that God is not surprised by the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus that it is fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures and given the fact that the Holy Spirit has been poured forth and we have fiery tongues and we have the mighty rushing wind the people are asking themselves well what do we need to do? If this is God at work what do we need to do? And the sermons conclude by saying to participate in the saving work of God through Jesus Christ and to be included among God's people to participate in the saving work of God through Jesus Christ and to be included among God's people one must turn from sin believe in the Living Lord confirming him through baptism in his name to be included among God's people One must turn from sin, believe in the living Lord, confess him through baptism in his name. Repent. So we have these 12 apostles. They were hand-selected by Rabbi Jesus. He taught them for three years. They saw him crucified and resurrected. And so the question is, what did these guys believe? If you can figure out what they believed, then that's what you need to believe. You with me? Because what they believe is what forms the New Testament. Are you following me? So in these early sermons in Acts, you get a chance to be there when Peter preaches and figure out what it is that these early apostles actually believed and taught and why why they were in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, why they went to Rome and what was their message and what was it that it was all about. What did they hold dear and essential? Well, I would say it's these six words. Fulfillment, deliverance, exaltation, spirit, vindication, and repent. Well, let's see if we find any of these in Peter's sermon. Let's see if I've made this up or this is exactly what the apostles believed and taught. And again, every element's not in every sermon, uh, but there's several early sermons here. These men are not drunk, verse 15. But this was spoken of through the prophet Joel. Bingo, number one. This is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. What you're experiencing, seeing uh, these men and these fiery tongues and hearing in your own language, this shouldn't surprise you. What's happening in the pouring forth of the Spirit is part of the Jesus event, and Joel the prophet spoke about it a long time ago. You see that? It shall be in the last days, verse 17. This is quoting Joel. God says, I will pour forth my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. You see that? What's you're experiencing here at Pentecost it shouldn't surprise you. If you've read the prophet Joel, you know Joel said, Both your sons and your daughters will prophesy, your young men shall see, vision, see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my bond slaves, both men and women, in case you missed the fact that women were prophesying, both men and women, I will pour forth in those days my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I'll grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood, before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And then it shall be that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, there went number six. This one, his order, he's going. He went from one to six. You want to be saved? What do you do? You call upon the name of the Lord. Of the Lord. Well, the sermon continues. Men of Israel, listen to these words Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you, to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. There it is, number two, deliverance. Deliverance says something like this God was at work for our salvation in the story of Jesus, especially in his crucifixion and resurrection. You follow me? So right here he's saying, you know God was at work. You saw the miracles, you saw the signs, you saw the wonders. This man delivered up by how? God's predetermined plan, God's foreknowledge. You nailed him to the cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death and God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. There you have it. The idea that God is at work in the person of Rabbi Jesus especially his death and his resurrection God ordained it God foreknew it that was the plan. Well 24, God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Resurrection is important in Acts. For David says of him, this is Psalm 16, I was always beholding the Lord in my presence, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my, my flesh also will be abide in hope, because thou wilt not abandon my soul to Hades. Now he's preaching about the resurrection. That David says the the Lord's soul will not be abandon to Hades, the place of the dead, nor allow the Holy One to undergo decay. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou will make me full of gladness with thy presence. Now, David's talking about that the flesh will not go under, undergo decay. And, and so Peter says in verse 29, I'm confident regarding the patriarch David that he died and was buried. David has gone to the place of the dead. In fact, I can take you to his tomb, Peter says. And so because he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seek one of his descendants upon his throne. David is not talking about himself when he says the flesh will not undergo decay or be trapped in the place of death. David is talking about one of his descendants and that descendant is Jesus. He looked ahead, verse 31, and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ and he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. He was resurrected. This Jesus God raised up again to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been, number three, exalted, and that's our third word. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. There's number four, the pouring forth of the Spirit. And we had that earlier, of course, when he was quoting Joel. Joel. Therefore, having been exalted the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth that which you both see and hear. There's two of them. Exaltation and pouring forth of the Spirit. Jesus is still present amongst his people because he has poured forth his Spirit upon his people and Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. For David who ascended, it was not David who ascended into heaven, that's this ascension exaltation, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Yahweh said to David's Lord, which is Jesus, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. This is again exaltation language. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There's exaltation. He is both the Lord and the Christ in his state. Exaltation. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and they said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, what do we need to do? If this Jesus event is something Joel has spoken about, if this is the pouring forth of the spirit that the minor prophet has written about, if this did not surprise God, this crucifixion, this resurrection, if he's now seated at the right hand of God and he is pouring forth His Spirit, then if He's now the Lord and the Christ, man, what do we need to do to be part of His people? Peter said, word number six, repent. You see that? Repent and let each of you be baptized. There it is together. Repent let each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And, well, it's a pretty effective sermon. 3,000 got baptized. I think it worked out pretty good for Peter. You see that? When I, when I made that discovery, C.H. Dodd is the is the New Testament scholar who started this kind of thought about the apostles' preaching. Robert Sloan perfected it and changed it and came up with pretty much the list that I gave to you. And when I was sitting in one of Robert Sloan's class and he gave this list and related to the early sermons in Acts, it was my aha moment to know how to read the Old and the New Testament. That's what Peter preached that the events that have happened in the person of Jesus have not surprised God. They are the fulfillment of the prophets. All the law and all the prophets have pointed to this person and this time when the kingdom of God arrives. And the crucifixion of Jesus was no surprise to Yahweh. In fact, he ordained it. In fact, he used it as a conquest and a deliverance for his people as confirmed in the power of the resurrection. And this Jesus now, he, not only have you seen him ascended, he is seated on the throne at the right hand of God. He is installed as both the Messiah and the Kyrios, Christos and Kyrios. He is the Christ and he is the Lord. And as a result of being seated at the right hand of God, he has poured forth his spirit upon his people and thus he himself is now present with them in a way that he never could have been when he was physically present. And well. Unless Jesus is going to come again and vindicate his people and set them free and judge the earth. And if you want to be part of this, if you believe what I'm telling you, you need to repent from your sins, call Jesus Lord, and show your faith by being baptized in his name. Now, It had been something for you to hear me preach tonight. You did a whole lot better than that. You heard the sermon by the apostle who was our Christ's right hand. This is what Peter believed. And once you know what the apostles believed, when you read the gospels, they make sense. When you read the epistles and the churches are making errors and he's trying to get them back to the apostle's theology, and when they misunderstand something about the spirit or or anything about their ethical life, he leads them back to the apostle's theology. So what the letters like Corinth are is apostle's theology, this time in Paul, Paul, Preach and believe the same thing. Apostles theology applied to the problems in Corinth equals 1 and 2 Corinthians. You with me? Apostles theology applied to the problems in Thessalonica equals the Thessalonian letters. Are you following me? So as we go through Acts, if you can keep this in your mind and listen to Peter as he preaches, it will transform the way you read and understand the New Testament and... Well, in my opinion, there couldn't be a better key than what the apostles believed and taught. This is the grid by which I read and study the New Testament. These six words are what Peter believed and preached. And every time he gets up and preaches, now you know what he's gonna preach about. He's gonna be these six things. Sometimes he'll do three of them, sometimes he'll do four of them. We didn't hear so much about number five tonight sometimes he'll do just a couple of them but every time he preaches this is what this is his overflow from journeying with jesus for those three years now this is the peter who was there when he raised the dead this was the apostle who was there who tried to walk on the water this is the one who saw it all and heard the last words of the christ to feed my sheep this is what he believed this is what he taught As a result, this is what we need to believe and what we need to teach. Let us pray. Father, there's anyone in this room who's never said yes to this cosmic changing message. Tonight is her night. Tonight is his night. Maybe it's someone listening by way of radio. May they listen to the words of the prince of the apostles, and may they say, I believe and I repent, and I will show my faith through baptism, and I want to invite Jesus in my life to receive his spirit, that same Holy Spirit who is active at Pentecost. Maybe there are others who need to come and be a part of this church that will forever and always preach the Apostles' theology. God has acted in the person, the crucifixion, and resurrection of Jesus, and he has made a way of salvation for his people, and we, filled with the Spirit, are to go and tell the nations. Folks who want to be a part of a church like that, maybe this is their night tonight.